As we make the uh, transition this morning into the Lord's Supper, I just want to share a, a brief devotional here around the table uh, related to forgiveness. And I'm talking about us uh, forgiving one another. I think that's an important aspect of this table. This is the Lord's table. And it's the Lord's table because He is here. He is our host uh, this morning. And He invites us to come as believers uh, to partake in His grace, in His mercy, in His love, and to know His presence in our lives. Yes, we remember by looking back to what He did for us when He canceled out our sin debt on Calvary's uh, cross uh, we look forward uh, to the glorious inheritance that is ours in Christ Jesus. But, of course, we don't want to neglect the fact that He's here uh, right now, uh, available uh, to us in His mercy and His grace. And we also don't want to lose sight of the fact that when He invites us to this table, He invites us to come as a family of believers. And, you know, we often emphasize the need when we come to the Lord's table to examine our lives, to make sure that there's nothing between us and God, uh, nothing in our lives that has offended Him, that has grieved or displeased Him. And if there is, that we would be willing to acknowledge that, confess that, uh, forsake that, uh, return to Jesus as our first love uh, to uh, Follow Him, not out of duty, but out of delight because of who He is and all that He's done uh, for us. But it's just as important to ask this question. Lord, is there anything between me and another person, especially within the family of God, that I need to seek to make that right, as le at least as far as it is possible uh, with me? And let me just sh share several uh, passages, I, because of our time limitations, uh, I'm not going to have time to really go deep into these passages or exposit them, uh, but I think they, they speak loud and clear uh, on their own with uh, not needing much commentary. But just to emphasize the importance from Christ's perspective of us being right with one another even before we would engage in worship. Uh, you're all familiar with these verses out of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. Jesus says, If therefore you are presenting your offering at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you. And I think we can apply the principle to the Lord's table. We could sort of paraphrase, you know, if you're, if you're coming to observe the Lord's table, uh, celebrate in His grace and mercy, and you remember that you have a brother or a sister that has something against you, He says, what? Leave. Leave your offering there before the altar, and what? And go. And go where? First be reconciled to your brother, then come and present your offering. So from Christ's perspective, just as important as being right vertically with Him is that we're right horizontally with one another as we come to celebrate and partake in the Lord's table. Uh, listen to uh, Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 13. It says, And so 
as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should what? You. As Christ forgave me, I'm to extend in grace that same forgiveness to others. A great companion passage, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 30, 31, and 32 it says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Don't grieve that Holy Spirit that lives in you. Well, how do we grieve Him? Verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice and be kind to one another. That word kind is a fascinating word in the Greek text. It's the word krestos. And it, the word literally means to furnish what is needed. He says that's how you're to live your life in relationship to one another. You are to furnish what is needed. You're to do what is profitable, what is good. You're to live not for your own interest, but what? For the welfare of others and furnish them what they need. And then he goes on and says being tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. And then, if you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to turn to this passage, and it's Matthew chapter 18. Now, let's all be honest. Forgiveness doesn't come naturally to us. This is where we are totally dependent upon the grace and power of God working in us. And, and you see this struggle in the lives of the disciples in the, in the Gospels. Uh, now, to give you the larger context, uh, we're gonna, what we're going to do is look at Christ's parable uh, that you find uh, beginning at verse 23 to the end of the chapter. But to give you the context, Jesus had been talking about a brother or a sister in Christ who had fallen into sin. And he talks about the need for the family of God to lovingly rebuke that brother or sister, but with the goal, with the objective being to what? Restore them, to restore them to fellowship with God, to restore them to fellowship with the family of God. So he's, he's talking about if you see a brother or sister fall into sin, out of love, you can't just idly stand by because they're a valuable member of the family of God and you, you can't allow them to continue to walk in attitudes or behaviors that's going to be destructive to their lives and bring damage to the reputation and testimony of God. So in love you go. You lovingly, gently rebuke for the purpose of restoring them. Well, he teaches on that. And you know, Peter, you know, he, he, his wheels are going around in his old head and so he, he asked the question in verse 21. He thinks, well, then Peter came and said to him, Well, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? 
okay, okay, I, I get this. You know, we're in love. We're supposed to rebuke. We're supposed to re- re- forgive, uh, restore when my brother or sister repents. But certainly there's a limit here, isn't there, Lord? I mean, I mean how many times am I obligated uh, to forgive? Up to seven. And Peter was being, you need to understand, what, Peter's being very gracious. You know what the rabbis taught in biblical days? They literally taught this. You can find this in their writings. They believe that you are obligated to forgive three times. And after that third strike, no more. You could, you could cut them off. So he's being very gracious. He's going way beyond the, the teaching of his day. The rabbis, he said, well, should we give up to seven times? And then Jesus responds in verse 22. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but to 70 times seven. Now, of course, Jesus is not saying, okay, the limit is, what, 490, 70 times 7. What's he, what's he communicating? Peter, there is no limit. I mean, you can't exhaust my forgiveness. You can't exhaust my grace. So there should not be any limit on the grace and the forgiveness that you extend to others. And then he gives this parable to drive home this truth about the importance of us forgiving one another and what the motive should be to forgive one another. And just follow along with me. Here's the parable. For this reason, verse 23, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a certain king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves or his servants. And when he had begun to settle them, there was brought to him one who owed him 10,000 talents. Let me just stop right there. 10,000 is the Greek word myrios. And to give you an idea of the size 10,000 talents would be, in biblical days, you know, the Roman Empire, they collected taxes uh, from the, the lands they had conquered. And if you would put together the four providences of Judea, Samaria, Galilee, and uh, Idioma, all four of those, if you put them in, a, in, they would annually collect 900 talents in a year from all four of those providences. So it would take 11 years, a little over 11 years, to be able to raise this amount of money. In other words, basically what Jesus is saying, it was in almost an incalculable, unpayable amount. Matter of fact, that Muras, that number 10,000, in Bible days, that was the highest number in the Greek language. So that was like Jesus saying, you know, just infinity. And so that the point is... He had this servant, this slave, who owed the king an incalculable, unpayable amount. And then verse 25, but since he did not have the means to repay his Lord, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had and repayment to be made. Then the slave, therefore, falling down, prostrated himself before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything, which was going to be an impossibility. Verse 27, And the Lord of that slave, notice, felt compassion, and released him, and forgave him that debt. The word forgive is aphame in the Greek text. It means to dismiss, to send away. So what this saying is the king dismissed the debt. He canceled it out. I think of Psalm 103 where it says what? 
He has separated our sins from us as far as what? As the east is from the west. Micah chapter 7, he's buried our sins in the deepest sea. Romans talks about the fact that blessed are those whose sins have been dismissed, have been forgiven by God. Now, let me ask you a question. Who does that first slave that we've just read about, who does that slave or servant represent? Who? You. Me. You need to make this very personal. That slave represents you, represents me. We're that depraved sinner, doomed to an eternity in hell. But God, feeling great compassion, having great mercy through the person of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, forgave us. He dismissed, sent away our debt, and brought us eternal salvation. Praise God. And that's what we celebrate here. How can we not come with great joy, with great rejoicing, realizing that we stood before God owing an incalculable, unpayable debt? And He forgave it, wiped the slate clean. As I prayed earlier, He, Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin on our behalf that we then might be what made the righteousness of God in Him. And so we have right standing before God this morning, not on the basis of our efforts, our works, but the mercy of Jesus, the mercy of the Godhead who provided salvation for us. But now let's continue with the parable. Verse 28, okay, this slave who's just been forgiven an incalculable, unpayable amount, says, but that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. 100 denarii would be what it would cost, what, it, what a common uh, laborer would earn over a 100-day period of time. They would basically earn one denarii a day, a common laborer in Bible days. So, I mean, a fairly significant debt, but nothing like that slave was just forgiven of. And he says, so he, he found this guy who owed him 100 denarii, and he seized him and began to choke him, saying, Pay back what you owe. Verse 29, so his fellow slave fell down and began to entreat him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you. Have you ever heard that before? That's exactly what that first slave cried out to his king. But notice the difference between the king and this slave. He was unwilling, however. He went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. Now, stop right there. Who does that slave, who does that servant represent? The brother or sister that's hurt you, that's offended you, that's wronged you, where there's ought between you. Now, notice the response of the king. And the king represents who in this parable? The Lord Jesus. So, then when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt 
because you entreated me. And here's the key verse to the entire parable. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave even as I had mercy on you? And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. So shall my heavenly Father also do to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. The simple truth of the parable is how in the world can someone like me, who has been the recipient of God's maximum mercy, who God dismissed that incalculable, unpayable debt, how then can I demand justice from others when they seek my forgiveness? And that's why Jesus said, there's no, you know, what was wrong with Peter? Peter was looking at it from the law's perspective. And the law always puts measures and limits. But Jesus is saying, no, uh, you know, you got to look at it from a grace perspective where there are no limits to my grace. There is no measure to my grace. Just like there are no limits and measure to the grace I extended to you. So because I extended that grace and mercy to you, you should extend it to others. There's, a, there's another uh, Luke chapter 17 verse 5. Jesus said, hey, if you have a brother in the same day, he comes to you, he, he, he blows it. Seven, day, seven times the same day, I mean, he sins against you, he hurts you, but then he comes and, and he repents. He says, you're to forgive him each and every time. Because, again, there's to be no limits on grace and mercy. And you're my children, and you're to reflect my character as I'm that power at work in you. And then this one last passage before we go into the Lord's Supper. First Peter 3, because this puts a little, maybe, practicality to all of this. Uh, let me read verses 8 and 9. Peter says, to sum up, let all be, I love this word, harmonious. Now, it's not the purpose of what I'm talking about right now, but let me just pause real quick. You know, think about that. You can't have harmony without what? Diversity. Think of harmony in music. You take different notes and you blend them together to give a, a, a beautiful sound. So look around at this congregation right now. Look at the diversity here in so many different ways. That's a good thing. But he says, don't let that diversity destroy you. No, use that diversity to experience harmony and a love that will catch the eye of a watching world so you can demonstrate the authenticity of your Christianity. He says, be sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit. And verse 9 is where I want to focus. Not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. Why? Because you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. So notice four things real quickly as we move into the Lord's Supper. First, what does it mean in very practical terms to forgive someone who's wronged me or hurt me. It means, number one, I refuse to get even. I make a choice, a deliberate, intentional act of my will out of worship and obedience to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
I refuse to get evil. He's just not returning evil for evil. Look at the second thing. I also restrain myself from saying anything ugly in return. He says, and not returning insult for insult. So I refuse to get even. I restrain to say anything e ugly in return. And then number three, I'm to return good for evil. It says giving a blessing instead. If this person curses me, I'm to bless them. If they hate me, I'm to do good to them. Jesus said you're to feed your enemy. You are to return good for evil. And then four, and don't lose this last one. Remember, 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 remember. God will take the evil perpetrated against you and he will transform it for your good. He says, for you were called for this purpose that you might what? Inherit a blessing. Isn't that good? So, as we come to celebrate in the Lord's table, yes, we want to examine ourselves to ensure that there's nothing between me and my Savior that I have not sought to make right with Him. But I also want to examine my relationship with the others in the family of God to make sure that I don't have a brother has something against me or vice versa that I need to take. the And it's very interesting in the Bible, and I, I need to stop right here. The Bible doesn't, you know, it, it, it puts the responsibility always on you. It doesn't even make any difference if you were the offended party or vice versa. You know, you're to take the initiative because reconciliation, forgiveness, building the bridge is every. And when we fail to extend forgiveness, all you're doing is what? Burning up the bridge that you need to cross in terms of your own relationship with God. So bow with me in prayer. And then after I pray, men, I'll ask you to go ahead and assume your stations and uh, we'll begin to serve the Lord's Supper. Father, as we uh, come to your table now, as we come, Lord Jesus, um, we thank you that we partake of the bread that represents the body of Christ that was given for us as a sacrifice on Calvary's cross to cancel out our sin debt, to dismiss that incalculable, unpayable debt that we owed you. And thank you as we partake of the juice. It represents the blood of Jesus by which we are redeemed. And Lord, we acknowledge, therefore, we are not our own. We have been purchased with a price, and that price was the blood of Jesus. That was the ransom price you laid down to bring us out of captivity to the devil, bring us out of his kingdom of darkness into your glorious kingdom of light. So yes, we do not any longer live for ourselves. We live for you, to follow you, to honor you. And so, Lord, we rejoice in the bread, we rejoice in the cup, knowing that they represent your body and your blood given for us. And thank you, Lord, that you are present. You're here. And Father, I pray that as we come forward to partake now, that you would find great delight in our worship, Great delight in our adoration, great delight in our celebration, great delight in when we choose to trust you, to step out on in faith and obey you, and even in this matter 
of extending forgiveness and and initially extending that forgiveness often when it just goes against every bit of what our emotions are telling us. But you are worthy of such obedience. You're worthy of such love. And we thank you that you never call us to do anything where your grace is not adequate, where your grace has not been provided to us. So again, thank you for your love. Thank you for your life, which in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Go ahead and ask the men to take their places. Of course, you'll come down the one side and you'll be motioned when you're to do that. And then just return the other side and uh, you'll partake of the bread and the juice right here at the front and then return to your seat. So let me invite you to come and, uh, and partake. It's our custom here uh, in the Edgewood family that when we conclude a Lord's Supper, uh, we provide opportunity uh, to the church family to minister uh, to one another. And so in just a moment, I will give you the freedom to stand up and uh, move about and uh, express appreciation, encouragement, uh, prayer. You may need to ask somebody's forgiveness, uh, whatever it might be. Uh, this will also serve as the uh, time of invitation, so I'll remain right here uh, to receive anyone that has a decision of uh, any nature, profession of faith, or uh, uniting with the uh, church family. And so, again, this is a vital part of the Lord's Supper. I ask you not to, to leave. We won't linger long. We'll just uh, another few minutes. Uh, but this is a time for you to look around and uh, look for those that may be in need, that need some encouragement or someone you want to express appreciation to. Uh, I think Edward, you'll be leaving soon, right? Uh, we love the Grahams and uh, Army sending Edward to uh, Fort Bragg, so we want to be praying uh, for them. I think Christy and the family will probably remain a little longer until uh, the kids uh, finish school this semester. So, uh, and, and just look around. I was talking to Sharon Costin. Uh, where's Sharon? Who, right, right there, has a family member, has a serious uh, illness. And, uh, and, and again, just look around. And uh, use this opportunity to express your love and appreciation. You might want to just remain seated right where you are and just continue to worship, continue to celebrate in God's grace and mercy. But again, this is a vital part of this service. So right now, I'll give you that freedom to stand and move about and express your love and encouragement and appreciation, prayers to one another. There's no space that His love can't reach. There's no place where we can't find peace. There's no end to amazing grace. Take me in with your arms spread wide. Take me in like an orphan child. Never let go, never leave my side. I am holding on to you, and I am holding on to you in the middle of the storm. I am holding on, I am, amen. Love like this, oh my God, to find. I am overwhelmed with a joy divine. 
Love like this sets our hearts on fire And I am holding on to you I am holding on to you In the middle of the storm I am holding on I am We'll just sing that again there And I am holding on to you And I am holding on to you In the middle of the storm Yes, I am holding on I am This is my resurrection song. This is my hallelujah come. This is why it's to you I run. This is my resurrection song. This is my hallelujah come. This is why it's to you I run And there's no space that his love can reach There's no place where we can find peace There's no end for amazing grace I am holding on to you And I am holding on to you In the middle of the storm Yes, I'm holding on I am holding on to you And I am holding on to you In the middle of the storm I'm holding on I am holding on to you I am holding on to you In the middle of the storm I'm holding on I am I am In the middle of the storm I'm holding on I am Amen, amen Just a Stay right where you are. You don't even need to be seated. Just give me your attention. I'll dismiss you in just a second. Uh, remember tonight, uh, Jonathan will uh, continue his series on how to disciple your children at home. That's right here at 6 o'clock. Don't forget about the fish fry next Sunday night. And uh, you bring the covered dish, the other items. And that's going to be a great, great uh, time of fun. And then the election day, Tuesday, get out and vote. And you pray. And let's trust God to uh, show Show us his mercy, and regardless of the outcome, that we'll, we'll stand as God's people to be, uh, to be salt and, uh, and light. You know, I was thinking as that last song of praise, I don't know if you saw my daughter Carissa, why can't we all get a little more freedom like Carissa, amen? <laughs> so, uh, so uh, uh, but yeah. But again, uh, love you, God loves you. And God bless, go in peace, you're dismissed.